0: To get intimate with Checkpoint Intimates. Hello, you're here with Pedro from Checkpoint on Joy, and joining me right now is the incredible John Johannes, director for the recently released Hi Fi Rush. John, in your own words, could you tell our audience what Hi Fi Rush
1: is? So Hi-Fi Rush is a rhythm action game. So what that means is it's an action game where you are in total control of your character, but everything that you do, all the actions you do, all the fighting you do, syncs up to the music perfectly. So it feels like you're part of almost like a music video where you're rewarded for playing on the beat, but you're not punished for not playing on the beat. So no matter, even if you're not good at rhythm games, you can enjoy the experience of being good at rhythm games.
0: (laughs) That's very much the experience I've been having. I finished the game last night. Um, oh thank you and obviously one of the most uh, apart from the game itself having multiple mechanical moving parts that games rarely do the other unique thing about the game is that it was announced on it was released on the day it was announced
1: um whose idea was that was it yours i have to uh, give all the credit to the marketing and the pr team for coming up with that plan I think we always assumed it would be a short window between announce at launch, but uh, we were just looking at a good time to announce it, and the window kept getting shorter and shorter. And then the idea for the Xbox Developer Direct, where we were going to showcase games and showcase how they play from the developer side, came up, and we said, okay, this is going to maybe a good place to announce it as a surprise, and then let it just go live right there. It took a lot of planning and a lot of people saying, hey, don't talk about this. <laughs> but yeah, we were able to pull it off. Uh, yeah. Obviously, from a developer side, you're a little bit worried because it's kind of like a new strategy in terms of when you're working on something for so long. But, uh, the reception was extremely positive. So I think it went as good as any of us could have imagined.
0: Absolutely. It does almost fit with the personality of the game. It does feel like a sort of a one of Chai's
1: impulsive ideas. <laughs> to yeah. Come out on the day. <laughs> Yeah, kind of going in headfirst and not really thinking about what would happen. Great, uh, I think a little bit more thought was going, it was put into maybe Chai's ideas. But.
0: Did you have to keep the secret for very long?
1: Uh, Well, I did have to theoretically keep it for five years, right, for the full development. Yeah. Um, But like, I kind of, I think I made a shout out on Twitter, just thanking everyone involved, because it's not, it wasn't a small project. There's a lot of people involved, a lot of cogs in the machine um to get a product released and for it to not leak uh i mean maybe someone did know about it but held back on purpose i think uh i want to thank the professionalism for everyone involved uh for that but yeah it's a mixed bag from a developer perspective because you always want to kind of talk about you're very excited about the project you're working on but not being able to is a little bit frustrating but at the same time you know when a project is shown there can be some maybe like knee jerk reactions, sometimes negatively, that can kind of affect your vision of what the final project is or final product is. And for us to not have that actually uh, let us kind of just really just focus on what we wanted to do and not worry too much about a misconception about what the game is from the outside and feel like we need to change course. Mm-hmm.
0: Is it a relief now to be able to talk about the game after keeping the secret for five years? Or is it now a different mix of emotions, considering you now have to you're you're seeing all the reactions happening live?
1: It Yeah, it's a very complex. I'm in a very complex emotional state right now. It's the best way to put it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it feels incredibly good to finally talk about the game. Um But it feels even better to talk about the game in an environment where you can see a lot of people are enjoying the product and especially when the the things that they talk about where the reason why they're enjoying it are the the key points that we we're trying to hit from the beginning um some of our like even in the original pitch you know things about you know it's accessible to people who don't play rhythm games the, you know, it just being straight fun or, like, a throwback to, an, like, a, a Dreamcast, PlayStation 2 era, Xbox, the original Xbox era of, like, colorful, just fun video games that were about a very specific thing, didn't take themselves too seriously and just about having a good time. And, like, literally, it's like they would... You'd see quotes that are, like, from our pitch document. Like, this is what we want people to say. Uh, so that's extremely rewarding from the developer side that we were able to execute our vision... How we wanted it to be and see the reaction be exactly what we also wanted. Um, it's incredibly satisfying.
0: Was there a a degree of, I guess, anxiety because Tango Gameworks up until now was mostly known for making the Evil Within games and you directed Evil Within too. Was there a reason for Hi-Fi Rush to come out now after the sort of success of Evil
1: Within? Uh, well, like I said, the game was in development for a long time. Mm -hmm. So, it's not kind of like a knee-jerk reaction per se, but, you know, we finished The Evil Within 2 and I finished directing that and we knew that uh, Ghostwire Tokyo was sort of our next game in development and we knew that was another sort of, well, not quite a horror experience, like a kind of darker, moody um, and also realistic-looking game. And uh I knew that we didn't want to get that especially my boss Mikami son didn't want it, the studio to get sort of pigeonholed into only kill only do like one type of game um, because internally we knew that we had the the potential to do other things as well um so it just kind of felt right to try to pitch something that's kind of like out of left field at that time uh, and i think when we developing like, developing it we we kind of knew that maybe even you know on the Bethesda side they they maybe wouldn't see us as being capable of, of doing a game like that but we were able to make a prototype and show that we were you know we we knew we had a strong vision for what the game could be. But then there was a little bit as we're going into announcing the game, we thought that users who knew us for that type of genre may see that and again, uh kind of have a knee jerk reaction as being like, you know, there's no way that they can pull this off. You know, they've they they only knew how to do horror. <laughs> um, so that was maybe the, the, the most positive thing about it being available right after we launched it was, you know, any sort of that nature of reaction, just um, people can play it and immediately saw that it was a very high quality project um, and, you know, it was executing very strongly on its vision and didn't feel like it was like an experiment. It felt like a team that was very confident in in their vision for what they wanted the game to be. Um, and it was also very, I'd say it was very polished. You know, I think there was maybe a little bit worry at first, but, um, the further we got into development, the more we, we saw that we, it's, it's turning out to be a very good game. So I think anyone who's worried about it, um, you don't need to be worried because at the end of the day, like a good game will, is the most important thing, not the developers, like previous history. So
0: absolutely. Well, speaking on that, you said you started working on this right after Evil Within 2, even though I think you said that you've had this idea for High fi Rush for, for much longer than that. Um did you were there anything you learned from Evil Within other than I've noticed the sort of jokey references to Evil Within in the game? (laughs) But other (laughs) than that, um was there anything that I guess are there any similarities in any small way between the two IPs?
1: I would say no in terms of from a very direct aspect. I mean yeah, I mean we have references to Evil Within too, but or the Evil Within but uh nothing that was in you know inspired the only thing that I took away from basically as uh you know a director on those projects is um all the projects that I was directing, it was always the team was constantly, you know, kind of shuffled in from the previous project into the next project. So you're starting out with a project with a lot of people. Um there were a lot of essentially, you know, free like idle hands like waiting for work to be done. So you have to kind of make decisions. Um you have a you have a vision, but you also have to make kind of snap decisions about smaller elements that you sometimes wish you have more time to do. Um with this game we were we were kind of working in the background because it was another project in development. So we were able to slowly uh start with a small team, literally two people at the beginning and then gradually work it up and layer it on top to make sure that the fundamentals were there. So anytime we added new people, um there was never kind of a question of like I don't where is this project going? What's what's the direction of this project? Like it was very sort of cemented in that sense. So Working on The Eve Within made me kind of realize that we needed to take it slow, especially if we're going to try something new. Um So, you know, in both ways, it was lucky that I don't think anyone was saying, okay, let's, from a pitch document about a rhythm action, colorful rhythm action game from a horror studio, let's immediately dump 100 people on the scene and get it going. But, uh, you know, and that proof of concept thing worked out well for us cementing the foundations of the game rather than, just doing, picking, figuring out things on the fly, and, and almost like panic making decisions.
0: You pitched the game in 2017. How long has it was it percolating in your head
1: before that? And as a game idea, it was funny. One of the we just spoke about this at work because everyone knew that, or people, some people knew that I would bring it up from time to time. And someone said, I remember you brought it up. Someone said about like 2012 or something like that. So maybe almost like 10 years before pitching. But it was just like, hey, wouldn't it be cool to like fight to the music? Yeah. And that was it. Um And uh that kind of just comes with my background. I enjoy playing music. I I'm obviously just, you know, love music in general. But I'm that kind of person who, you know, who's when they're walking and listening to music, they kind of like walk in the, the same pace as the song. You know, there's some people who kind of just like get in the zone. And I was like, and it's just kind of like percolating. Yeah, like you said, in, in your mind for a while. But I don't think I had the understanding of the technical ability to pull it off until maybe you know i I've, I've finished working on these multiple projects where i can see it's not just a cool idea it's like this is how it can actually be executed so uh mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of like everyone has that idea in their mind of a game that I'd like to make but i think you do if it's challenging you do need some experience to back that up to make that into an actual product yeah absolutely And,
0: you know, if if the original idea was what if you could fight to the rhythm, what if you could fight to the music, how far into development, how far in conceptualizing the idea did all the other stuff come in? You know, this game has a very unique animation style. It's got a unique soundtrack. it's inspired, it seems inspired by, you know, games like uh, linear action games like Devil May Cry, Bayonetta, it seems inspired by uh, cartoons from the 80s and lots of anime. So when did all those other parts
1: come into it while you were developing or beforehand? So pretty much, this is going to sound like probably half arrogant and half like lot like a lie, but uh, most of it was in the original pitch document. Um Honestly, uh, the overall, even though it wasn't like the, the fine details, but the, the basic story about you get a, uh, you know, a music player implanted in your power unit. Um, you're called a defect by the company who does it and you fight with a ragtag group of teammates to overturn a, a company one boss at a time. Was like the pitch for the story. Um, the fact that it would be like a colorful, almost like comic book-esque world was also in the pitch document. And same thing with the, the 3D action and the music elements in there. So that was all in like the pitch document. And then it, obviously when you go to, to, to figure out what, what are those actual details, um, you expand upon that. And so you find that art style that works with the game. And then we say, okay, it looks like this. What should we do with the animation? And, How can we, you know, how can we make it feel like a cartoon? I think that was the big, the biggest thing when we found our first piece of key art. We said, okay, it's this 2D image. It looks great. And I said, okay, this looks great. I want the game to look exactly like this image. Like I want like the, our ideal, ideal for presenting the game was we had this 2D art image and it, you would show somebody and they'd say, oh, that's cool concept art. And then you would like move the stick on the controller and be like, no, that's the game. Um, type thing. And. You know, I think we got really, really close to that. I'm sure there's some, some fine details you can find, but, um, you know, I want to almost like release the original concept art piece, uh, to show like it's actually still in the game, you know, that, that kind of that image that we had, but yeah, messing around with the animation and, you know, even the way we would animate it, how much we'd stretch the characters, the proportions of the characters, that was a lot of like trial and error to find like a style that fit, um, as well as like, how it would be animating in cutscenes, you know doing this sort of like half frame rate um to to visualize like the cartoon aspects um and then it's kind of funny that some limitations of development actually contributed to the the look of the game because um this sort of like comic book like mission report scenes that you do was done because we just had like to set up those things instead of having these long conversations that just felt kind of boring um we said okay what if we had this like static image that felt like a comic book because the game feels like a comic book or like an animation thing and just kind of go over all the details but make it feel fun and the 2d animation stuff was legitimately like the scale of those scenes was too big for the environment team to actually make so we reached out to a 2d animation studio called titmouse and they helped uh storyboard these scenes that we can kind of intersped with that in the game but keep for example the rhythm like as you probably saw if you play it's like you know it it matches like we're able to con- cleanly uh go from 3d cinematic stuff to 2d cinematic stuff then go back into 3d uh, and, and a lot of that stuff is was, was created out of like we don't know how to do this in 3D, so why don't we just kind of cheat it but actually it when we put them in it just felt really cool it's like you know so it just added to the experience but it's it's a good example of for example limitations actually helping out the experience
0: totally and so much of the animations the transitions between you know in-game graphics and the animations is like so seamless and the way the game's designed makes it hard to see that it's a different we're looking at a different medium right now um speaking on that i, I mean i was looking at the. i finished the game last night i was looking at the credits and i saw the name uh masaki yamada and i was like wait that name sounds familiar <laughs> google yeah. it and, you know um so yeah Apart from yourself, I'm assuming that other members of the team, based on their past experience, did, did have their input as well in the final product.
1: Yeah. Um, so Yamada-san is obviously very, very, uh, skilled or has a good resume of, uh, action games. You know, he's worked on like you know, the best of the best, you know, Devil May Cry and, and Bayonetta and even some of the games that we use for visual references, like Okami and stuff like that. And, um, so, but it was, it was kind of funny at first because, when we were first making the, the game with a small team, he wasn't yet part of our team, but we were kind of developing the sort of the essence of what the the action system would be, uh, which is a little bit different than your standard action game. Of course, if you played, it's like a little bit more lenient. That whole syncing with the beat, um, and so he, he came in obviously with a lot of experience, but he was also kind of initially like, "That's not that's not how you do it. You got to do it like this," but we were like. I was like, no, 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 it's like, I know that's probably not correct, but this is why it's going to be different. So it took him, it took a lot of convincing. Like, uh, like I said, um, it, I think the fact that we didn't have, the early team didn't have experience in action games. We didn't have any preconceptions of what you needed to do. We just like acted on our vision. Um, but when he came in and we finally basically, I, I don't know if the converted or brainwashed is the correct word to use in this term but um into into the type of game that we were making um he really helped us sort of flesh out uh you know how to how to balance the the combat system um as well as we would talk about okay what else can we do to introduce more elements to make it deep but not too challenging um but it was it was very a collaborative effort i would say um definitely uh he's the most skilled in that in that aspect so he was kind of like our eventually became our you know sort of our like main battle designer we we're making new enemies and things like that but we always would go and say like is this too hard we don't want it to be like too extreme and want it to be accessible so we'd always kind of go back and forth and, and go over those things but yeah but like for example like we split up <laughs> there weren't there weren't that many game designers on the game actually um for a long time it was just uh it was about two Is that me and him? And so we would actually, everything was split up. Like the boss fights were split up between, like he would take half and we'd do half and and things like that. So it's
0: kind of fun. And, you know, like with any creative venture, were there any like painful darlings you had to kill (laughs) based on feedback from
1: other members of staff? Uh, There weren't any painful things based off staff's opinions um like any game you have to always kind of rescope um when you're looking at leftover time leftover budget leftover uh do we have enough people to work on this um and but if you play the game you know that we're actually kind of open about the stuff that we cut like uh there's like literally a reference to it uh we we reference it through one of my favorite rpgs from that period of xenogears we have a sequence where the characters just sit in a chair and talk about this event that they that probably would have been a stage <laughs> but it was exactly what it, it, about. It, but it was kind of like cut early on uh, but i was like okay if we're going to cut it we're going to i wanted like i wanted to feel like it's you know we're almost breaking the wall and kind of admitting that we cut it and there's even like the there's even literally right after it like chai goes so the camera is like, 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 let's never speak about this again. <laughs> um, don't ask any questions. Um, and then there's a, like a boss fight that we cut, but you can speak to, for example, I think you speak to Cinnamon in the hideout afterwards. And he kind of just directly talks about it. He's like, wow, it really looked like you were going to fight it. It was so intricately designed, but then you just didn't. It's like, you know, I feel really bad for the designer who worked on. <laughs> you know, uh, there's things like that. Um, and uh, so. We chose what was, what was best for the game rather than just getting everything in and making it feel like it was kind of unfinished. Um, so we wanted the stuff that was in there to be very high quality. So we, we scoped it like every project does accordingly. I think the only difference is we just acknowledge the fact that we scoped it in the, in the game is, is the only difference here. The tone of the game is perfect for that. Cause there's. Yeah. That, that's the best thing. In other games, you couldn't do that because you'd have to hide it, but we are. You know, a little bit self-referential. Um, I like to think it's not too like negative or mocking or something like that, but, um, but you know, it's a playful attitude. So I feel that we can get away with it. Um, yeah. And people don't, and it's funny that you normally see people get up, up in arms about like they cut this because of this. And it's like, no, no, it's, it's, you know, it's part of the experience and
0: <laughs> it's all part of the final product and that, yeah. you know, that's speaking of tone you also you you're mostly known as a you know game designer and a director and you directed Hi-Fi Rush but you are also credited as the sole writer um what is your background with writing
1: for games um so i my first experience writing for game was i wrote the two DLCs we did for the first Evil within um and after that and, I enjoy that because that taught me a lot about, you know, just writing about games. I mean, I'd done some like almost hobby level studying of screenwriting. Um, but I've always been kind of into just how screenwriting works in general, how, how, you know, how difficult it is to get, you know, for example, why it's easy to do in a movie, but it's hard to do it in a game and how to make it work. And, uh, I didn't work as a writer on the Evil Within 2, but on this game, I kind of had a strong vision where, I wanted to write a game that was humorous uh which I just enjoy writing in general but also story wasn't the main thing it was more about characters like so that's the thing that stays with you more because uh you know for a game that's all about you know character action or these this team of of you know of, you know wannabe heroes and and over the top villains you want those to be the things that are almost like more memorable than oh that plot twist was really was really good it's you know it's the characters that stick with you so that's what i spent a lot of time working with and early on you know a game like this a lot of characters you if anyone who knows about script writing you know that the more characters you introduce, the more it's like increases the complexity of the script by the times of the amount of ca- the characters there are so it's like um it was super complex and uh it was kind of getting out of hand and i was like i maybe need some help with figuring out how to like this down. So we had a great assistance from a uh an, a writer named Morton Brunberg, who kind of came in and looked at our script and didn't change anything about the direction anything of it. So like maybe you can like we don't need this, and you can cut this and you can make this simple and really kind of shaped it up. And then of course, as you're making a game, you like rewrite it 80 more times after that. But being able to sort of sharpen it up at one point and then go back and rewrite all of this stuff, uh, let us just iterate on the, the script and the characters and the dialogue to make it just like a very fun experience. Um, and humor is tricky, right? It doesn't land with everyone and everyone has different sensibilities, but, um, so I think for the people that it did land with, I think they appreciate it. I'm sure there's some people who would say it's not funny at all, but, uh, <laughs> you can't win them all. So. <laughs> Not
0: at all. There's a, there's a slowly rising discourse at the moment about how to do good comedy in games. Cause I don't think it happens very often, but I feel like Hi-Fi Rush is going to come up because it's,
1: it's very funny. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it was, it was important to just get, it was like, it's more a matter of tone than the actual humor points. It's like, we have to stick to what the game is, what the presentation is. It has to be like, feel like a complete package. Um, and, what worked good for this development, worked well for this development, is that um, we kept that sort of scope and what the tone of everything is, like, very compact and clear. And so it wasn't like a writing team was off writing a game, and they came back and it's like, wow, how do we fit this into this game we're making? It was like, it was very, everything was interconnected, and we were always talking with each other. And so I think that what makes it feel more of like a complete package than maybe a game that's larger in scope that can kind of get out of hand and you feel like things are kind of just put together.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great line to end it on. Thank you so much for your time, John. This was a lovely conversation. And no, it was a lovely I, conversation. Yeah. And I cannot wait to start on the post game content today.
1: Yes. You have a lot of stuff to do post game. you not, you haven't even finished the story yet technically, but. Ooh. Oh, you're right. Some, yeah. Yeah. There is some story stuff left over. So. Yeah you better get on that i'm very excited thank you very much (laughs) thank you again
0: you've been listening to checkpoint intimates
1: if you enjoyed this podcast please rate and subscribe on itunes and stitcher